Welcome back to the Outreach Project family. This is Josh. This is Zach. And this is uh, Pastor Joel. Pastor Joel, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's just a privilege to be with you guys. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about you. Um, you're a speaker, you uh, teach, and you've also wrote a devotional book. Is that correct? Right. What that means is I'm not exactly sure what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, neither do we. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, so you've had a long journey through Christ. Do you want to go ahead and start from kind of the beginning, where you grew up, what your family looked like? Yeah, I was was born into a church-going family. We were United Presbyterians, went to church every Sunday morning. Growing up as a little boy, none of my family were Christians. Uh, that was back in the 50s and 60s. And uh, people just went to church because it was the right thing to do. And it was a, the culture was different than the society. It was, you know, pe- people were seeking to be moral. Um, and and the, for my entire life, even though I went to church every Sunday, in Sunday school, every Sunday, I I had never heard of having a per, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, um, when uh, the guy that led me to the Lord, Kent, Dr. Kent Fischel, he led both my brother and me to the Lord July 26, 1971, over 50 years ago. He led us both to the Lord at the same time, same night. Wow. Uh, and so my brother and I are not only biological brothers, we're spiritual twins, Um <laughs> Well, what was interesting is that after he shared the gospel message, I said, this is unbelievable. I said, I have never heard this before. How long has this been around? (laughs) And he said, well, about 2,000 years. (laughs) Yeah, wow. (laughs) And then I said, how come nobody has ever told me this before? And he looked at me and said, that's a really good question. And it caused me just to realize that a lot of people are lost and don't realize they're lost. You know, I mean, I, I was. And um, so I gave my heart to the Lord. Um, and then I went to uh, Ball State University where I got involved in all kinds of goofy stuff. I got involved in the social fraternity drinking, carrying on girls, the whole thing, man, I tell you what I backslid and, and uh, I kind of had my uh, a foot in both worlds. And I tell you what, that doesn't work well. And uh, Kent, the guy that led me to the Lord, asked me to, um, after my freshman year, if I would be a counselor at a Christian camp. And I said, sure, that, that sounds fine. I'll go. I mean, I, maybe I can meet some chicks, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. So I go to this camp, and I'm a counselor at a Christian camp. And I'll never forget it. The evangelist's name was Jimmy Lentz. And uh, Jimmy Lentz gives an altar call to make a lordship commitment to Christ. And here I am, a counselor. And I tell you what, um, that night I I gave my heart fully, whatever that means, you know. to me, giving your heart fully to Jesus means giving as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of God. 
Yeah. And uh, I made that decision. Well, that was at camp, and I thought, man, I'm, I got to go back to Ball State. See, and I was president of my of my uh, fledge class at the Alpha Tau Omega fraternity. And I'm thinking, man, this, this is going to be something else. And I knew I had to live for the Lord because I, I, I knew I couldn't keep doing this double life stuff. So I made a, deter, a, term, a determination that I was going to go back and live for the Lord. So hit the Ball State, Muncie, Indiana, uh, go back to campus. And we had this big um, fraternity meeting. And they were talking about, Keggers and getting together with sororities and partying and drinking and doing all this kind of stuff. Anyway, and everybody's cheering and clapping and everything and, you know, rope, 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 that kind of stuff. And and I'll never forget the president of the fraternity. His name was Rick Davis. Rick says, at the end of the meeting, and there's probably about 20, 30, 50 guys here. Does anybody have anything they want to say? And I said, uh, I raised my <laughs> And I said, you know what, Rick, I got something I got to say. So I stand up and I say, guys, I said, uh, I need to tell you, um, this last summer I made a lordship commitment to Jesus Christ. I, I, I decided I only not only wanted Jesus to be my savior, but I wanted him to be my Lord. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, asking him to forgive me. And I'm, I want my life to count for him. And the reason I'm telling you that is that I don't sense that I can do that to live for Christ fully and participate um, like I have been in, in this for to love you guys, you know, but I, I said, I just don't sense that I, I can do that. So I just want you to know, not only do I care about you guys, but um, I'm deactivating the fraternity. And that's, that's bold. Well, and the reason I paused, you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, it was yeah. as quiet at that moment as it was after I just made the statement just now. And everybody just kind of, nobody moves. And Rick Davis stands up and goes, all right, does anybody else have anything to share? And of course, nobody's going to say anything, you know. He goes, okay, meeting's over. I mean, not one guy talked to me. I mean, this was, it was super awkward. Yeah. Next day, my big brother in a fraternity, when you're in the Greek system, you got a big brother and a big system. My big brother, a guy by the name of Tom, he was from Crawfordsville, um, calls me up and says, I, I'd like my fraternity jacket back that I gave you. Sure, no problem. I'd be walking down Riverside or McKinley Boulevard in, in Muncie at Ball State University, and fraternity brothers would start walking toward me. They'd see me, and they'd cross over to the other side of the street. Jeez. I mean, they, would, they wouldn't even talk to me, and, you know, and I thought, wow, well, you know. I mean, it is. Cortez burned his bridges, you know. Well, what was funny is that I thought, you know what, I— Man, I kind of did it this time. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this place. It's called the Christian Campus House Sunday morning, and you know, I guess it, people, Christian people gather there, Christ followers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go there and start all over. And so I went there, and and uh, they said, "Hey, we're gonna have a Bible study Tuesday night. If you're interested in coming, why don't you come on?" 
So I went, and when I walked in, I see this cute little girl. She's a brown-haired gal. And and, uh, I sat down next to her, and I said, do you mind if I sit here? And she goes, no. And the thought crossed my mind, one day you're going to marry that girl. That was 50 years ago, and I'm still married to her. Wow. That's awesome. That's crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) And uh, I'd I'd do it all over again. I mean, I'd I'd marry her all over again. Um, We got married on her birthday, May 25th, which probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world. Um, because our birth, her birthday and our anniversary is the same day, which makes it easy for me <laughs> buying gifts. But at the same time, if I forget, I'm in a world of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I just sensed that you know, I mean, it was it was great, and then we got married, and and I started teaching school. I'm thinking, man, I want I wanted to get into ministry. I want to get into full time ministry, you know. And I had to learn a lesson that. Full-time ministry is doing whatever God calls you to do full-time. And and so I started teaching at Bluffton, Indiana, uh, at Poplar Grove Elementary School, sixth grade. And I taught sixth grade for uh, four years and then fourth grade for three years. And during that time, I was writing books, speaking, going, you know, leading retreats and speaking at church revivals, that kind of stuff. And sure enough, the Lord called me into uh, pastoral ministry. And, and you know what? I, I would never um, in a thousand years have given up those years of, um, of doing that. You know, it gave me life experience. In the same way, like the last, after I retired from um, serving as pastor in megachurch, you know, moved to Fort Wayne and moved to South Bend, what, nine years ago. Got back into the classroom again. Man, this has been so healthy for me because I'm in among the wolves every single day, every single day. Um, as a matter of fact, I started teaching or subbing in a Christian school and I didn't like it because the reality is, is that Christian schools, there's a lot of the same stuff going on in Christian schools as in the public schools, but it's just camouflage. It's just, just yeah. it kind of just happens under the surface, you know. Whereas in the public school, you know exactly what you're dealing with, you know? I mean, it's just out there. I mean, people are dropping F-bombs, and, you know, it's just, it's crude, and, but you know exactly where you stand. And they know I'm a Christ follower, they know I'm a pastor, and I've been there long enough now at Niles High School in Niles, Michigan, that um, they'll ask me questions, and I'll just tell I'll just answer them. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, they were, uh, they got in a big conversation, um, in a class, in an English class about Jehovah's witnesses and how they knock on the door and they're, they're such pests and we don't like those guys. And, and they're just, you know, just rah, 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 rah about, about JWs, about Jehovah's witnesses. And finally, uh, the teacher, uh, turns to me and says, uh, they call me Mr. D and they said, Mr. D, what do you think about this? I said, well, guys, let me tell you what. I'm a Christ follower. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And you guys know that. But I said, I don't agree with where they are theologically. 
However, I think we need to be really careful to start piling on and criticizing people um, and talking about them in a negative way. The Bible says, speak evil of no man. You know what? I think we need to be cautious. I'm I'm not sure if that's right. And once again, it gets really quiet in the classroom, you know, and they're just kind of nodding their head like, yeah, you're right. You know? Yeah. I mean, just the opportunity. Some of my favorite kids are the trans kids. I mean, and, and some of the gay kids. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The ministry. One, uh, one girl, I, I, I had her for an entire semester several years ago and I'll use different names here, but, um, her name was Sophie and, and I called her by name. She's now a junior. And um, I called her by name in the hallway, and she goes, Mr. D, I, I, don't, I don't go by Sophie anymore. Oh, you don't? I'm sorry. I, what do you what, what do you have another nickname? What do you go by? I go by Alex. Oh, okay. Well, I apologize. No, that's okay. Um, why, why did you decide to change your name to Alex, honey? Um, she says to me, and I, I, again, I'm not sure if I'm getting the pronouns right here, but biologically she's a girl, but she's identifying as a, as a boy now. And I said, help me to understand. I said, I'm new at all this stuff. I know. I, I said, I apologize. No, no, no. I, I understand. She goes, sometimes I wake up and I feel like a boy and sometimes like a girl. So I just decided, I said, I said, I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't understand all that because I'm. This is kind of new to me. But I just want you to know something. Um, I'm going to call you Alex, like you've asked me. But I also want you to know that I that I love you, and that and that God loves you. And she goes, I, I know, Mister D. I know you do. You know. And the thought hit me, guys. When I was in an evangelical bubble and not involved in a public school, I didn't even know a gay person. Wow. I wouldn't even run gay people. Some of my closest friends now on faculty and staff are, you know, I did identify with gay or trans or, you know, alternative lifestyles. And I realized as, as a pastor and as a Christian, if I am not representing the love of Christ, how will they ever, how will they ever come to know the Lord? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my philosophy is they made a decision in this area of their life. I'm going to love them in such a way that one day, hopefully, they'll make another decision. Hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, here I am, 70 years old, mixing it up with these teenage kids, you know, and, you know, 6'3", gray hair, old enough to be their grandpa, and yet they'll just open up to me. And isn't isn't that what we're supposed to be doing as believers, huh? Yeah, that's you know that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, as salt and light. And it, and it's easy to lob hand grenades and they say, oh, it's awful, and you know it's. What would Jesus have done? What would Jesus do? You know, I mean, he was where the beer cans and the poker chips were when he was walking the earth and around sinners and prostitutes, and he was criticized for that. If we're ever going to make an impact on the culture, we got to be with them and learn how to love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it un- unfortunately, 
evangelical Christians today, the, the public view of a Christ follower today, I think it's right below prostitutes and right above lawyers. I mean, <laughs> I mean we had a terrible reputation yeah. because we're known as, as people who are hateful and bigots. And, you know, I think the fringe has kind of captured, you know, uh, the headlines and, you know, I kind of scratch my head and think, please, please don't lump all of us into that category because not all of us are like that. You know, I mean, we just, we're trying to live for the Lord and make a difference in people's lives. And how do you do that without getting your hands dirty and being around them, you know? And so that's what I'm doing now, you know, not only doing what I'm doing at first church of God in Columbia city, speaking and preaching and teaching and writing, but, trying to make a difference in the lives of these kids that are just so, so needy at Niles High School in Niles, Michigan. Yeah, so Joel... Kind of a long answer, Zach and Josh, but sorry. No, that's perfect. Thank you. So it sounds like boldness since the fraternity days has kind of been a a trend. How is that? It sounds like it comes naturally to you. Where do you get that from? I'm not sure if because I'm a middle child, I'm a pleaser. I'm not sure if it comes natural as much as I realize at this point in my life, what, what do I have to lose? Hmm. You know, I mean, I, I tell my principal, she's a Christian gal as well. And I tell my principal, you know what? These kids are asking me questions and I just want you to know, I'm going to answer the questions honestly. You know what? And if, and if the administration, the superintendent doesn't like that, fire me, please fire me. I don't need this job. (laughs) You know, and they realize, no, 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 no. We want you to say those things. We want you to be, because I've got credibility with the kids after being there. They know me, you know, doing magic for them every day and being around them and teasing them and joking with them. You know, and so they just open up. They just open up. And so I think, you know what? I'm just going to be honest, you know, and let you guys know I care about you. And, you know. Yeah, what about what about the younger days, like the fraternity? I felt like you had something to lose there. Um, and oh, yeah, that was rough. That was a tough one. Um, well, I, I, I think... I had option A or option B. Option A is is to continue to live a double lifestyle. Option B was I was going to live for Christ. Yeah. Both options will come at a cost. What's going to be the greater cost? I mean, if I decided to continue to live a carnal Christian life... That's painful, and that that has a cost to it. But taking a stand for Christ, that also has a cost to it. So it's it's risk-reward. You know, what's the greater cost? And I made a determination. I, I think I'm going to bet on doing the right thing and trust that the Lord will honor that. And he has. He has. Same thing when I left teaching and to go into ministry you know we had family members saying oh man you got security as a teacher and you're now um invested and you've got seniority and you got an income and man i mean you become a pastor that's true yeah 
That's true. But my life's not my own. See? My life's not my own. I mean, the easiest thing in the world for me to do, guys, would be to, you know, sit in a rocking chair. And I mean, I'm 70 years old, dude. I don't, I don't need the money. I don't need the jobs. So why do I do Why do I come down to Columbia City First Church of God? My life's not my own. Mm-hmm. See? I do it because Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And I don't think he meant by that, if I don't preach the gospel, God's going to get really, really bad. No, I think he means, if I don't preach the gospel, I am not going to be able to live a life of satisfaction and contentedness, because that's what I'm wired to do. And that's what I'm wired to do, guys. I'm wired to, to preach and teach and um, write and uh, live for the Lord, you know? And you find more joy in that than oh, yeah. alternative lifestyle. And it's interesting because it, it's contagious. People can tell that. And maybe you guys can tell when I speak on Sunday morning at, at you know, First Church, who was it? Uh, Charles Wesley said, when, when when you're on fire for God, people sometimes will show up just to watch you burn. Hmm. Hmm. People will show up sometimes just to watch you burn because it's contagious. And they, and they, 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 they want to see what it, what it looks like when somebody's just sold out and excited and enthused and love the Word of God and love preaching and love teaching. It. I, mean, I have a blast when I'm up there teaching and preaching, guys. Maybe you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, it's great. It just, I was born to do this and um, wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you left teaching, went into ministry. Um, you served at a few different churches. You want to walk us through yeah. that journey? Yeah, I was, um, I was an associate in Fort Wayne for seven years, went on and then took a senior pastor role um, in a church, about, about 220 people, and uh, served there for, gosh, I got there, and I got there, and uh, the uh, they had a, a youth, part-time youth pastor and no secretary, and they hired me. And uh, they said to me, because um, I, you know, it's kind of like a turnaround church, 220 people, you know. Yeah. And so they said, uh, I just started serving there, and they said, you know, um, the last pastor we had, uh, he he mowed the lawn. And I looked at one of the leaders, and I said, you know, yeah, that's what I heard, but I checked with him, and he doesn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said, look, you, you hire me to be a pastor, not a caretaker. Well... After 25 years, the church was about 900 people and end up having seven pastors on staff, you know, kind of like at First Church of God, you know, and mm-hmm. that was a great run at it. And after that, we moved up here to South Bend. All three of our boys went to Bethel and they all settled up here. And so Judy and I move up here and and semi-retired. And now since we've been up here, decided, you know what, I'm going to keep teaching substitute teaching school in the public schools part-time and and then God just really gave us a heart for um 
being interim, being serving as an interim pastor for churches that are in between, navigating the in between, and uh, starting today, uh, we're on our sixth church, and uh, the shortest one was six weeks. The longest one was four years. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, you never know. I mean, you come into those churches and you realize, and he's given us real heart for little churches. Um, it's funny because, uh, you know, you end up preaching in a place like First Church of God and, you know, in large venues where there's thousands of people. And and now I'm I'm uh, starting today, I'm, I'm in a church of 60 people. And it's so funny because uh, living in America, people look at that and think, Man, what what a waste. Hmm. You know, my response to that is like, in what way? Yeah. <laughs> why why is why would that be a waste? I mean, is it because in America, you know, bigger, better, faster, stronger? I mean, who are you to say that? it's a more significant ministry for me to be serving an in-between church of 60 people than preaching to thousands. I mean, I've done that. What you want to do is you serve God where he asked you to serve, not what is looks cool or is um, bigger or Flyshear, that's just window dressing. Yeah. I, I just want to be faithful wherever God leads us. And right now it's a church of 60 people. You know what? That's all right. I was in there today for the first time, and I'm having a blast. You know, I'm, I'm typing the bulletin, and, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that, you know? So it's been a blessing. Yeah. You still have three weeks with us. Who speaks during those weeks when you're here? Um, they have got a, I, I use this term carefully. I, I, I logged in yesterday to see, cause they were going to make the announcement that I was going to be coming, you know, cause I thought I'll be, be kind of curious. Well, the guy preaching, I told Judy, I said, the guy preaching, she goes, did you see him? I said, yeah, I kind of listened to him for a little bit. Kind of an older guy. She goes, how old is he? I well, he's probably younger than us. And I started realizing, I guess I'm an older guy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, they got a guy who's filled in for three or four weeks, maybe five weeks until I, I'll start. Okay. Um, beginning of May, and uh, I'm actually on payroll starting today, and I'm just you know kind of getting my arms around everything. Mm-hmm. I served there two and a half years ago for one year uh, when they were in between, and so. The fellow that followed me moved on, and and so now I'm kind of back again for round two. So yeah, you're a bit yeah. familiar with it though, which is nice. yeah. I mean, I, I knew what I was stepping into. You know, this is good people, great leaders, and neat church. And I just think, you know, I I was all excited. You know, yeah. So it sounds like you have followed God's calling to you, been very faithful to Him. What has that looked like for you? Have you heard a calling physically or what's that look like? Well, I don't want to give the impression. I mean, you're, you're getting the reader's digest convinced version. I mean, Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I'm a doofus at times too. I mean, I'm stupid. You know, I, I do dumb things just like everybody else else does. Mm-hmm. Misstep, make mistakes, have to apologize, you know, trip over myself. I mean, so it's kind of like if you look at the stock market, you know, it tends to be, to look like a, this line gently going up. But if you zero in, you see all these little, you know, ups and downs. And, and that's the Christian life, you know. Mm-hmm. And so in specifics, you know, I've had my share of failures. But overall, I've sought to, to follow the Lord. And, you know, I mean, isn't that the story of the great heroes of the faith in the Bible? Um, yeah. I still don't have down really well how to discover the will of God. <laughs> we wrestled with going to this little church thinking, oh, man, should we do this? And, dude, I'm 70. I mean, why would I go back? And, you know, because they, they're wanting me to stay on as pastor permanently. And we may do that. I don't know. And, and Judy and I wrestled with this thing. And we're like everybody else. I mean, trying to discover God's leading, it's hard. But as we pray and talk and process and get godly counsel, over a several days or a week or two, there seems to be a settledness. It seems we're doing the right thing here. And Lord, if we're not, Please put up a roadblock, but it seems we're doing the right thing. I remember back when I was in my 20s, maybe like you guys' age, I was speaking at retreats and so forth. I remember I was teaching on the topic, how to find the will of God, and my notes were on a three-by-five card. (laughs) Imagine, the will of God is reduced to a three-by-five card. Like it's you know, and now here I was the age of 70, and I have no idea what to tell you on how to find the will of God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, you do the best you can. I remember one of my favorite movies in the world is The Wizard of Oz, and if you remember the story of The Wizard of Oz, when, they, when they're in the poppy field just outside of Emerald City, Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion and the, uh, the Tin Man, and the Wicked Witch of the West is, is up in the sky, and she's riding her broom, and there's black smoke coming out of the back of the broom, and she's spelling the phrase, Dorothy, go home. I don't know if you remember that scene, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with the Wizard of Oz. She skywrites, Dorothy, go home. And every time I see that, I keep thinking, man, I wish God would do that with me. <laughs> you know, I, I wish he would just clearly say, this is what you're supposed to do. But... He doesn't do that. He he lets us wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. And the wrestling is good, just like we talked yesterday. Navigating the in-between is healthy. That's good. Um, nothing's automatic. It's just a process of learning. Yeah. And I'm still learning. Yeah, I know? think a common misconception is people can say hard and good can't coexist when in reality hard sometimes grows us adversity grows us yeah yeah that's exactly right josh you're exactly right yeah so i want to touch a bit on you said you're an author some books you've wrote yeah i need to check i'm going to check with um i probably need to give the elders a call again because i'd like to bring them next sunday if i could 
Okay. I, don't, I don't know if that's legal or not. If they allow that kind of thing in the, you know, the why not? Whatever, just but, go for it. Yeah, maybe I should just do it. You know, ask ask forgiveness rather than permission. How's exactly. the phrase go? You know, we we just I just began sensing after going to the Holy Land five times, and I began. I, I've got a prayer team behind me, and as I would send out my weekly prayer letter, I would include a Holy Land devotional on it, page page and a half. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, that began growing and evolving. And so now somebody suggested, you need to put those into a book. And so what they are, they're, it's an eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. So it's an eight and a half by 11 book, and it's 200 pages, 100 devotionals. And when you open it up, uh, the facing page on the left is the beginning of the devotional. On the right, the other page is the end. So it's just two pages. Okay. For people to use in their daily devotions and just unlocking, well, like what you guys saw yesterday, you know, during the message, insights and secrets and things, you know, I, I, I never knew that. And like, remember when I mentioned the idea of why did Moses take off his sandals? Mm-hmm. You know, people are out there going, I never thought about that before. You know, the idea of Jews needing to have separation from the, from the literal earth because it's cursed. And when God said, take off your sandals, it was no longer, there was, the curse was removed, you know, and, and people are going, man, that's, you know, that's really good. I mean, the entire book is full of those kinds of things, insights and hidden secrets in the land of Israel, in the land of the Bible, with maps like you saw yesterday and maps and photos and diagrams. Guys, what I've discovered is that how many people don't read their Bibles or don't have daily devotions because they will say, when I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. Or I read the Bible and it's like I'm just going through the motions. Or I read the Bible and I thought, you know what? I want to help them with that. Yeah. I, I, I want to provide a tool that when they use this book, and it's colorful with hundreds of maps and photos and you know charts and diagrams— that they'll say, man, I mean, I'm just able to glean some insights and understandings right from the text that I, I never heard before. And people have said that to us, you know, that they say, I mean, I, I, I've, I've gone to church for 40 years and I, I've never heard some of this stuff before. That's why I've written the book. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it sells for 20 bucks. It's, it's about a half inch thick, eight and a half by eleven, so just enough for me to break even. Yeah, and um, so now that now this is going to be on the podcast, I probably got to call Jeff Sickafoos or Charlie and say, <laughs> "By the way, I let the cat out of the bag. I hope it's okay. I bring him Sunday." <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean they won't see this until after Sunday, so you're all good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. <clears throat> You mentioned that you've been to Israel about five times. Could you tell us a little bit about Israel? Like, why'd you guys go? How long were you there? And just a little bit about the the country itself. Yeah, sure, Zach. The the first time we went, I was on a sabbatical, and we went to the Middle East for three weeks, and we went to Israel for three, or um, no longer than that, dude. Uh, We were there, I think, maybe four or five weeks. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, we were, um, three weeks in Israel 
and then and Jordan, and then I think two weeks in Egypt. Um, I took a Nile cruise, Luxor, Abu Simbel, Aswan, the High Dam at Aswan, Alexandria, um, Tyro, the pyramids. Um, and it opened up a whole new world because the, the, the course we took was premised on the geography of the land. Um, God selected that piece of real estate to be his land for a reason. It's the only place in the world where three continents converge. Hmm. Think about that. The only place in the world where three continents come together, Africa to the Southwest, Europe to the West, and Asia to the Northeast. And the reason that's significant is if you want to control the world militarily or in terms of the economy, the trade, you've got to control that piece of real estate. And God knew that. And so the reason it's called the promised land isn't only because God promised it, it's because if you're going to live there, you got to trust God's promises because it's an area of turbulence. Everybody wants that piece of property from Alexander the Great to the Roman Empire because he who controls, it's called the Levant, he who controls Israel, the Levant, can control the world because of trade routes and military um, you know, access. And um, that's where God chose to put his people. Well, it's just stuff like that. You think, I, I never heard this stuff before, you know? Yeah. And it, it has, that was 20 years ago. It's revolutionized the way I teach and preach. It's revolutionized the way I teach and preach. Because you can now provide background and maps and insights. And well, just what you guys saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole idea of there's the Nile Delta and there's the land of Israel and then there's the land between. I mean, you can, you, you can see it, you know. And then you just glean insights from it. And so now the joy we have is taking people back and, and enjoying it through their eyes. You know, I, I think I got one trip left in me. <laughs> I want to, I'd like to go back again, but, um, so we've been leading trips back and every time you go, it's just, man, it's just so rich. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So who, people just break, they just burst into tears at certain places. Who, I mean, it's just that emotional. Who all have you taken since, since then you've gone a few times? Oh yeah, I mean we've since that first trip we've taken four different groups back, and each time you got anywhere from twenty two to thirty people, you know, and so yes. probably a hundred people by now, and, and you know, I'm the leader, but by law when you when you take a tour through Israel, you must have an Israeli guide. Now we're able to use professors at Christian universities, and a lot of them have have Israeli-American citizenships or Israeli-Canadian citizenships, you know, joint citizenship. Mm -hmm. So we will have Christian professors as the guide. I'm the leader, and so I get to speak at each of the sites. Also, the guide is is who um, basically teaches at each location. Yeah, you're in the Sea of Galilee, and you're in the Jordan Valley, and you're in Jerusalem, and you're in Bethlehem, you're in the Elah Valley where David fought Goliath. I mean, it just gets better and better. That's, you know? that's crazy. 
Oh, it is. It's, it's nuts. And you think, holy cow, this is crazy. Just to be there and see it. Mm-hmm. And not everybody has the opportunity. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, too. Not everybody's going to have the chance to go to Israel. But to be able to see it through those pages. That is the canvas that God chose to paint the story of redemption. Yeah. He chose the land of Israel. Yeah. He chose the land of Israel. Some people, one person said, it is the fifth gospel. The land is the fifth gospel. As a matter of fact, the word land is the fifth most used word in the Old Testament. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The word land after, after son and king and, uh, you know, but the word land is the fifth most used noun because it's that important. Huh. Have you done so, any other international trips? Like oh, that? yeah. I've been to India five times and Japan twice and, oh, man, Spain, Costa Rica. Oh, man, where else? Yeah, we... Um, We've just had the privilege and opportunity to do a lot of going overseas, speak at high schools, Christian high schools, um, speak to missionaries, Dominican Republic and Haiti, uh, you know, just to go and encourage. And uh, the the times in in, uh, in India have just been, they have family camps and there's just like a thousand people there mm-hmm. in a tent. And you're speaking through an interpreter. They're speaking either Hindi or Bengali, and I'm speaking English. So the, obviously, the message takes twice as long. So you got to cut your message down to like fifteen or twenty minutes. Oh yeah, because you'll yeah you'll stand up and say things. Uh, it's good to be back with my friends in India. Pause. Uh, I bring you greetings from the brothers and sisters in Christ in the United States. Pause. I mean that that's how you preach an entire message if you can imagine that. That's that's crazy. <laughs> it is. And people and people come forward and they're weeping. I mean it's just unbelievable. One of the guys from your church, Gene Klingerman, good friend of mine at First Church of God, he went with it. He's been there twice and I went with him once. He went with our group and Gene's eyes were just opened up. I mean it was just something else. So, yeah, the international ministry's been been a blast but um so the Lord's just afforded to Judy and me opportunities to be able to share and speak. And like the, like being at your church, that was the goofiest thing in the world. I get a call. I get a call from Jeff Sikafus and Jeff goes, I was talking to a buddy and he goes, you don't even know me, but we'd like to get together with you and see if you come and speak at our church. So I meet with Jeff Sikafus and, and Charlie, one of the, you know, one of the other uh, guys in the board, the elders, and we have lunch, and he goes, you know what, yeah, we're going to have you come in. And I said, this is crazy. You know, I said, you guys don't know me from a bale of hay. Well, you know me from a bale of hay, but I said, only God could have put us together and said, we're just going to give this thing a shot. You know, we're just going to yeah. do this. And there's just no other explanation. I never saw it coming. They never saw it coming. Somebody put it together. We meet, we clicked, and been there, what, three weeks now, and it's been a blast. So that's how, Guys, that's how you got 
to First Church for a bit is just a random call from Jeff Six. Random call. Yeah. Well, he had been talking to a, a, my best friend, Dave Embrack. Maybe you've heard of him. He pastors at Napanee Missionary Church, church of 2,000 people. And uh, Dave had told them, they said, man, we're in between. We're having trouble doing pulpit supply. And Dave Embrick says, I got the guy for you. I got you. You need to get a hold of Joel to sell. Well, so they do. I mean, you know, just one of those crazy things. I mean, it's, it's, it's just insane how God just does this kind of stuff. Yeah, we were out to dinner with uh, Jeff and Sherry last Saturday night. We we're just laughing and shaking our head like this doesn't make any sense at all. But it's been fun. <laughs> That makes no sense at all. No, it's it's a crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Joel, how in the world did you get into the international? Like how did that those opportunities arise? You mean to speak other places like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, it it grows, you know, you start out doing it by, you know, when I was you guys' age, I'm doing, speaking at youth retreats, and somebody says, you know what, this guy spoke at our youth retreat, you ought to get him and come over to talk to your youth group, so I went and spoke to the mm-hmm. youth group, and three or four years later, somebody says, well, would you be interested in coming and, like, speaking in our church on a Sunday morning? Yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'm not even a pastor at that point, you know. <laughs> so I do it, and, and then somebody goes, well, he filled in at our church. Would you come over to? Well, the next thing you know, well, we got a camp. Would, have you ever spoken at church camp? Well, I mean, we'd love to have you come to it. So you do one or two of those, and suddenly, you know, word of mouth, your name gets out there, and one thing leads to another, and somebody goes, you know, we need to come have somebody come and speak to our missionaries overseas. Would you? Would you be willing to come over to Spain and speak to the missionaries from Portugal and Spain? Yeah, well, sure, we'll do it. I mean, it's just kind of. Yeah, just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. It just happened. That's crazy. Yeah, it's just kind of, you know, you don't exactly plan those things out. Yeah, that's, I can't imagine, Joel. That's. Yeah. Just go with the flow your whole life? Yeah, yeah, you just, well, yeah. You know, I mean, that's what's really exciting, though. Judy just told me the other day, she goes, you know, this is just really exciting. We don't exactly know what God has in mind. Now, this last one was a stretch, this idea of you may end up becoming this permanent senior pastor again. I'm thinking, oh, man, are you sure? Maybe I just had bad pizza last night, you know. (laughs) Just trying to figure it out, you know, but just God's just faithful and just he works things out and. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I've lit up the night sky. I mean, I, I've fizzled on on in flames plenty of times. You just make mistakes and goof, you know, and go back and apologize. And, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the story. Remember when Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house to to heal his 12-year-old daughter? Remember that lady with the bleeding disease? Okay. Remember, they're all crowding around Jesus, and the lady with the bleeding disease comes up. And remember, she thinks if I touch the hem of his garment, that I'll be healed. And so she does. And sure enough, she's healed. And Jesus stops, and what does he say? Who touched me? Remember? Okay. And the disciples kind of remark sarcastically, 
what do you mean, dude? Who touched you? I mean, there's like a thousand people, you know, grabbing at you in, in this crowd. I mean, lots of people touched you. He goes, no, 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 no. He said, I felt the power go out from me. And the thought that hit me was, there's a cost to ministry. There is a cost to ministry. Jesus said, I felt the power go out from me. Hmm. And, and, and I've discovered that to be true. You know, that when you serve the Lord and you do these things, there's going to be a price to pay. Whenever we go out and speak, uh, goofy stuff happens at home. The car will break down. The washing machine will go for plunk. Judy and I will get sideways with each other. Um, well, one of our boys is not walking with the Lord. And I, I'm not saying that's because I'm a pastor. What I am saying is there's a very real enemy, guys. And when you serve Christ, um, there's going to be a price to pay. Um. You know, no, a student's not above his teacher. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. You know, we're going to go through tough times. And so we shouldn't be surprised that ministry, I mean, there's a wonderful payoff of joy and just contentedness and satisfaction. But there's a stiff price to pay. And uh, that not that true of every Christian, though? Yeah, and that price is so worth it. Yeah, living for Christ is a price to pay. Mm-hmm. And maybe I mentioned this one once my first week there at First Church, that um, we do people a disservice to not tell them. If you give your heart to Christ and decide that you're going to follow Jesus with your whole heart, it's going to be hard. And there will be sacrifice. We don't tell them that part, see? Yeah. We tend to sugarcoat it. You know, we need we need to be honest with people and say, by the way, if you do that, it's going to be really, really hard. Because we think, well, if we tell them that, then they won't make a decision. No, 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 no. If you tell them that, they're saying, I want to give my life to something that's worthwhile. Yeah, that decision means more. Yeah, because it's, what's interesting is uh, in the Islamic world, they have no difficulty recruiting suicide bombers. Think about that. Mm -hmm. They have no difficulty recruiting suicide bombers. Why not? Because they tell people, we are asking you to give up your life for the cause. Mm -hmm. Step forward. And they do. Because you're getting called to something greater than yourself. And see, in America, we have sugarcoated it to say, you know, give your life to Jesus and everything will be great. And then it's not great. And people are disappointed and they leave the faith. We need to call people to a higher standard of sacrifice and surrender. But yeah. those aren't popular words in modern day evangelicalism. So not at all. I loved yeah. I loved in your first sermon here, you're pretty straightforward with a lot of things. You are in general what you said, but carry on, that's too convicting. <laughs> I thought that was so oh, yeah. relatable. Yeah. Like, Amen, yeah, Joel. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> that cracked me up. I'm like, you know, a lot of times we want to sugarcoat things. We want to, it's all rainbows, unicorns, butterflies, whatever you want to say. But it will, be, it will be hard, but hard and good can coexist. And 
That's right. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that comment. I need to remember that. I'll claim it as my own. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Use it again. Art and good can coexist. Next book I'm going to write is going to be titled Things I Have Stolen from Other Thieves. <laughs> <laughs> no, I took that from someone at Passion. It was a lady in a wheelchair. She went through a lot Catherine of... Wolf. Catherine Wolf. She went through a lot of hard times, but she said, you know, my okay. hardest times were still good. It's very inspiring. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, a little bit more lighthearted, Joel. Like, what do you do for fun? You sound really busy. So, what do yeah, you. Yeah, and part of it, guys, the reason is I just read an article this last week that retirees, a lot of times, if they don't have something worthwhile where they contribute, they will die quicker. That I just realized staying busy and involved in ministry and doing stuff and being in the schools around teenagers, that's really healthy. I mean, it gives you a sense of purpose and excitement and enthusiasm, and that is really, really healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, the illusion is when I get old enough to retire, I'm just going to sip iced tea on a beach. That's all I'm going to do. Well, how long is that going to be fun? See? But if you find, like somebody said, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing, you'll never work another day in your life. And I, I enjoy what I do. And as an alternative, I like spending a lot of time. I like spending time with Judy. I mean, we're I'm fortunate to have married my married my best friend, and I like messing around on computers, um, my iPad. Uh, having three boys, we're computer gamers, and so we like playing computer games and getting on and doing it together. Um, they got me for Christmas. You guys will probably understand what this is, but a lot of your listeners won't. They got me an Oculus. Okay. One of those awesome. yeah, nice. things that go over your head. It's 3D. That, you know, you're, you're into this virtual world. And so the boys will, will get on the Oculus together and we'll play miniature golf virtually <laughs> in this world together. That is awesome. I mean, it's a complete. Yeah. So when I'm Judy and I are down in Florida, in the panhandle during the winter. And yet I'm connected with the boys in this virtual world playing miniature golf and we're laughing and yucking it up and, you know, knocking the, the ball into the ocean and, you know, our golf balls. And <laughs> it, it's just great. It's a lot of fun. So I like doing that kind of stuff. The other thing I really like guys, and this, this will shock you. I just like studying and writing. Um, like when I write the books and just study, I, I can sit there and, dig into the word and study. And it takes me, each devotional will take me anywhere from four to eight hours. Wow. And so so it takes me, you know, to research. I create all the maps myself using mapping software. So I got the copyright. Um, Finding the right diagrams and illustrations and photographs and that kind of thing. And I just love doing that. And I just... To me, it's relaxing. Other people say, oh, you're writing an essay, two essays a week? Yeah, I am. <laughs> no, that's so, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, another silly question. Um, you mentioned a particular fast food restaurant. Uh, yes, oh, Culver's yesterday, twice. Yeah, is Culver's your favorite fast food restaurant? Or? That's, a good, that's a really good question. Um that that would be one of them. Um, 
Yeah, I like Arby's and Culver's. The boys have been trying to get me to to get this stuff from Taco Bell. I'm, I I've, usually not you don't don't go to Taco Bell that much, but um, <laughs> I do like uh, Judy and I like ice cream and DQ that kind of stuff. Man, we really like seafood though, especially oh, when you're yeah. when we're in Florida on the on the Panhandle. Man, that's you know there in Warsaw they got that restaurant called Noah Noah, and they got some of the great seafood and. Mm. We enjoy, we enjoy seafood. So yeah, I married a really good cook, and so I'm very fortunate. She's a farmer's daughter. So there you go. Yeah. So you traveled to Florida during the winter every winter. Yeah. Or yeah, th- this was. Let me think. This was our fourth or fifth winter. We we go to Florida January and February. Okay. We go eight weeks every winter, and just get a condo that overlooks the Gulf. And, uh, and we just spend our time down there walking the beach. I write mess around on my, on the computer, you know, and, mm-hmm. and take naps and just go out to different restaurants. We're down there with another couple, another Christian couple that we know. And, uh, that's been really rich to invest in our marriage to do that. Wow. Cause there's no guarantee, you know, you can't say, well, gee, you know, when I get to be 75, I'll, maybe I'll do that. Well, you don't know if you're going to live to be 75. Yeah. And so we just made the determination when we were 65, let's, you know what, we're going to, we're going to make that a priority and we're going to do that. We're going to go to Florida for two months and be snowbirds and just um, invest in our marriage. And that's, but that's just been so good. Yeah. That's awesome. So was that when yeah. you like, I don't want to say retired because Joel, you never really retired. Like, was that when you phased out of some some work and then started doing that? Yeah, when we moved up here to South Bend, we just recognized there was it was a new season, a new chapter for us, Um, and that's when we sensed I wanted to get back into the classroom part time in the public schools, and I thought maybe we could do a little bit of. uh, pulpit supply, that kind of thing. Well, it ended up turning into interim work, you know, churches that are in between. God has just given Judy and me the ability, and you guys have seen it, to step into settings where we don't know a soul. Yeah. And just click, you know, you just, you're comfortable, you you connect with people, and you say, you know what, I'm just going to come and encourage these folks and kind of help get him healthy. And, and we just sense that that's how God's wired us and to, and to do that. And that's just been a wonderful ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're not going to keep you much longer. We ask all of our guests the same final question. I think it really, Oh, here we go. I think it really tells a lot about who you are. Now you have probably traveled the most out of any of our guests by far. Um, so you might have a little bit more difficulty answering this, but what is your dream trip? There is no monetary restrictions, semi-realistic, but what is your dream vacation? That is a hard question because yeah. we've been to so many different places. Um, I think if I had the opportunity to be able to afford it. I would like to do a three-week cruise through the Panama Canal. 
Okay. Dave and Christy Embrecht, Hasher Napany, I alluded to him earlier. They're big cruisers. They've probably been on 20 or 30 cruises. He said the best one he ever did was the Panama Canal. A lot of them will just go partway in and come back out. But some of the cruise ships will go all the way through the canal. Uh, they'll go um, literally through the canal, and you, then you come up. You start in Lauderdale, go through the canal, and end up coming up to Long Beach, California. And uh, he said, man, that was unbelievable. Well, you do that with one of those rooms that's not on the interior of the ship. It's on the outside of the ship, mm-hmm. and you do it, say, for three weeks. Yeah, That would be a blast. That'd be awesome. That would be a blast. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fun. Would you and Judy? It'd be do different that? than anything we've done. You, I'm sorry. You and Judy do that? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. What are you guys doing on the cruise? You big gambler? Or? Oh no 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 no! Nah, we just chill and you know we were on one to the Caribbean for ten days, I think, and uh, you know they they got shows on in the evening you know jugglers and mm-hmm. dancers and comedians that kind of stuff and you know you just chill out relax have fun you know yeah that's what i that's what i and you know when you get to different ports you can go in and you can get off the boat and mm-hmm. walk around and you know fool around and that'd be fun yeah that sounds awesome yeah yeah thank you a lot joel i really uh appreciated this got to know you a bit yep. and just hear your story kind of your come up do you have any uh closing thoughts or anything you would like to share i just appreciate you guys you know i just appreciate the the two of you guys you got a heart for the lord and a heart for ministry and um god's gonna use you guys too you know i was your age at one point and uh in my 20s and starting out and needed you know you have no idea what my life's gonna turn out like and what God's going to do and what he's going to ask me to do and where he's going to lead us. But I tell you what, he's been faithful. God has been faithful and he, um, he is worth following. Yeah. And I'm saying that having followed him for over 50 years, he's worth following. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we definitely appreciate what you've been doing here at the church and with this podcast, just the hope that you've brought to a lot of people in this church has been really cool to see. And, all the conversations we've had about your your messages have been really cool and it's been fun. It's been cool to hear you talk for the past couple of weeks and got a couple more left. Yeah, we're going to take another couple of runs at it, buddy. And uh, I'm, I've appreciated the chance to be there. Hope I can come back again. You yeah, know, that'd be neat. Yeah, yeah. All so. right, Joel. Well, uh, we'll let you go. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on, man. You're welcome, guys. Good to be with you. Yeah, you have a good night. All right, take care now. I love you. Love you too. Love you too. (laughs) That was awesome. Yeah, thank you, Joel, for for coming on. If you guys listened, we uh, really appreciate that. Um, This is something new. We've never done a Zoom podcast. We've never done this headphone or whatever. Let us know how you like it. Please give feedback because we just want to grow. Yeah, whatever whatever we can do to help grow and yeah. spread God is what we'll do. I mean, if that's a lot of Zoom podcasts, we'll do yeah. Zoom podcasts. If it's in person, we'll do in person. Yeah, I believe it's Proverbs 12, 1 or 13, 1, something in there. It says, like, only fools don't listen to uh, criticism and feedback. So yeah. 
I know <laughs> what you're talking about. We'd love to hear it. Um, please let us know how this went, what we could do better. We're going to test some things out with our audio coming up. But, yeah, thank you again, Joel. Um, we appreciate you. Hopefully you're listening. You might listen. I don't know. <laughs> if you're listening, Joel, text us. If anyone text us. But yeah, thank you guys for listening and watching. This has been awesome. We will see you uh, next week on the Outreach Project. Peace. Peace.